Good morning and welcome to Celebration Church. Let's all stand together as uh, all our campuses join via the video signal here. And let's recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are, what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Great to have you with us here uh, worshiping at Celebration Church today. As you can see, I'm coming to you from our Appleton campus, located right in the heart of downtown Appleton, just a couple of blocks off the main drag here. And uh, it's this wonderful facility that we've been blessed to uh, have. As you can see, it's very neat looking. It's got some fabulous lighting and the, you know, the atmosphere is really great. Some incredible sound uh, that's in this facility. Uh, we've been putting a lot of work into it. Uh, when I say we, it's not me, because <laughs> I don't know how to do anything. But uh, the guys have done a lot of work. Uh, Pastor Ross and, and Pastor Chad, and along with a lot of volunteers, have been really uh, fixing the place up, making it great for the young people. The uh, area downstairs is just great, where the kids can get together and have a fabulous time. They've cleaned it up and uh, given just a great atmosphere, and are continuing just to make this a very warm and fuzzy place. If you ever get a chance, Come to the Appleton campus and, and check it out and worship with us here uh, in Appleton. Actually, we do have an opportunity maybe where all of us can gather. Uh, we're doing our big uh, New Year's Eve celebration here at the Appleton campus coming this New Year's Eve. Kind of a big celebration church party. Uh, for anybody who wants to come, we're going to dress up and I'm going to be the DJ and <laughs> we're going to turn this place into this just great party atmosphere, but a safe party atmosphere. In a, in a safe Christian environment. And uh, it's going to be a great way to celebrate and bring in the new year. So uh, it's centrally located from all of you in Stevens Point. Come here easily. Those of you in the Green Bay area can come here. Obviously, the Appleton guys are already here. Uh, so it'll be a lot of fun. We'll talk more about that. But anyway, that's where I'm at today, sharing with you from our Appleton campus uh, with today's message. Uh, today, I want to read to you from um, the Old Testament, Deuteronomy the 30th chapter, the book of Deuteronomy is like Moses' grand sermon that he gave to the Jewish people just as they're getting ready to go into the promised land. It's really quite stunning uh, from this standpoint. Uh, you have to remember, in the beginning, Moses didn't want to say anything. He said he couldn't talk. Uh, he was afraid to talk. God said, okay, send Aaron with you, let him do all the talking. In the beginning, Moses didn't do jack. He stood there with his staff, and he just didn't say anything, and Aaron talked for him. Uh, now, over the years, he now does transfer into this incredible leader who is quite articulate. It's amazing, kind of, you know, how God sometimes will take, sometimes you feel like you're not good enough, or you don't have the abilities, but yet as you're growing your faith, God continues to change you, and Wow, we all start doing things, many of us would admit, that earlier on in our faith, we would have thought we could have never done. 
But yet we're doing now. It's kind of a neat way of watching people grow in their faith. And we certainly see this with Moses. So anyway, he's now the great orator and he's speaking to the people and he's got all the confidence in the world when in the beginning he had zilch. And he's about to kind of rehearse to them all the, the great details of the law of Moses. Now, I want to be very clear. We as Christians are not obligated to obey the law of Moses. Anybody who goes around quoting Old Testament rules to try and smack you over the head really don't know what they're talking about. We live by the New Testament. But the principle is there in that uh, people think there are no rules in the New Testament. Yes, there are. They're just a little bit different. There are some of the rules, but we don't obey all the Old Testament rules as far as food and all this different stuff. And there's a million of them. You don't even want to go there. But we do have some fundamental rules. And the rules need to be followed. Not oppressive rules, but rules that are there for your safety and so that you can be blessed. So Moses uh, gives this little talk right here uh, in in, uh, Deuteronomy, the 30th chapter. And he's got this little phrase here where he's communicating to them about the importance of obeying God. Again, we're not using it in the context of Old Testament rules, but the concept of obeying God still applies to today. All right? So let's pick it up. This is Deuteronomy, the 30th chapter, verse 11. And, and I love the way he does this. It's, it's almost borderline insulting, but, but we'll check it out. What he says is, now, what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. You're not this dumb. Duh, hello. This is pretty simple. It is not up in the heavens, so you have to say, oh, who can go to heaven and proclaim it so we can obey it? No, it's not that complicated. Nor is it beyond the sea, so that uh, you'll have to ask, who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it? No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth. It is in your heart, uh, so that you may obey it. Talking about the word of God, okay? Then he says this. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. This is the choice. Life and prosperity, death and destruction. Now, I don't know about you. I vote for life and prosperity. I don't want death and destruction. If anything, the whole human experience is trying to avoid death and destruction, things going wrong. Everybody's trying to get on the positive side of Life and prosperity, blessings where everything's working right. A lot of people, you know, break it down after a while. They say, well, you know, the people who prosper, they're just lucky. And us poor saps are just struggling life. It's just, you know, it's not fair and stuff. Yeah, I suppose without God in your life, you can stay at that level if you want. I'm telling you, there is a clear path, I can't talk, clear path, unlike my words, not being clear, a clear path to blessings and prosperity. It's not about luck. It's not, gee, someone else is more fortunate than I am. It's not about, gee, I guess my life kind of stinks and it's boo-hoo and all that. I'm telling you, the Bible's very clear how you can get to the positive side of life versus the negative side of life. And that's what I'm talking about here. Now, he says, I set before you life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, and keep his commands, decrees, and laws, then you will live and increase. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are inheriting to possess. So this is just before they go into the promised land. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them and getting caught up in all the stuff of the world around you, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. 
There's a promise you want, huh? Uh, Certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now you would think this is obvious. Life, death, blessings and curses and just to help them Maybe they weren't particularly the brightest people in the world. He had to tell them, now choose life. (laughs) You wouldn't think you'd have to tell people that, right? Hey, blessings, not blessings. He says, yeah, here they are. And he's got to tell them, choose life. And here's the crazy thing about it. A lot of what we're talking about, the difference between succeeding in life and failing life is often just your choice. What do you choose to do? And again, the Bible's very clear about the path of how to get to the blessing side, but it's not by luck. It's not because you're cuter than somebody else. It's not because of any of this stuff. It's because of the choices that you make. We as believers want to make the right choices so that God can bless us, so that we can live on the blessing side of of life instead of the curses and failure uh, side of life. So he said, choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So in this message, and we're going to be talking about this uh, for a few weeks here throughout November as uh, we're getting ready, you know, that period of time before Christmas season kicks in. We've got that Thanksgiving kind of vibe in November where we try to reflect, at least we're supposed to reflect on the blessings that we have. I want to share with you about how you can get more blessings in your life and then you can be more thankful for what you have and how your life is going. Now, uh, a lot of it boils down to choices that we make based on God's rules for our lives. And there are rules. Now, when it comes to rules... The evangelical Christian church in America has shown itself to be very prone to wild pendulum swings. You know, pendulum swings, click, tick, tick, back and forth. And we've kind of done that historically. Uh, For many years, not really all that long ago, many churches were prone to make really big deals out of things that did not matter and get really intense about rules. Uh, the problem was they weren't really rules of the Bible. They were just the rules of men. And they were very legalistic and just pinheads about some of the most moronic stuff on earth. Here's just a list. This is not an exhaustive list. This is just a short list of many of the crazy things that they would. Pastors, I mean, some of the greatest preachers uh, over the last 150 years in America would preach and they were powerful, but then they would get on this man-made rule stuff, many of them were, you know, they'd fight about that men couldn't have hair that was too long. If your hair was too long, you weren't a godly man. And then, of course, women, if their hair was too short, then they were not a godly woman. Uh, Women could never wear pants. That was a big deal. And, (laughs) you know, it's interesting. There's still a lot of churches that think this way. There is a smaller segment but just to show you that everybody's thinking in those, these kind of terms, just all, make all these rules that the Bible didn't really talk about these rules, really. They, in some senses they did, but they just went and made extreme man-made rules and got on everybody about everything. 
uh, women, you know, should not, never wear makeup. Well, the Bible doesn't say anything about makeup, you know, seriously, if the barn needs to be painted, paint the barn. <laughs> Don't frighten the children, put on your makeup. But there's churches that absolutely forbade women to wear makeup because you were a Jezebel and you were this horrible, you know, type of person that was like a woman of the night, a prostitute or something if you wear makeup, which was crazy. The Bible never said that, but they taught this. Again, there are still churches who do these things. Again, thankfully, it's a much smaller group today. Uh, you couldn't play cards. And I'm talking about any cards. You had a card, deck of cards, you were a sinner. And they would preach at you and tell you to repent. And, you know, because they were convinced that if you played, you know, go fish, that inevitably you're going to wind up in Vegas at a blackjack table, wasting away your family's finances. You know, and so it, was, it couldn't happen. Uh, you couldn't roller skate. That was a big sin. All oh, these sinners out roller skating. People in the church don't roller skate. They were against roller skating because it was too much like dancing. <laughs> and of course, everybody knows dancing makes you fornicate. So they didn't want anybody fornicate. So you better not dance and you better not move like that. So you couldn't go roller skating. Uh, and I promise you, there's people listening right now. You were in some of these churches. <laughs> and um, it was nuts. Uh, a lot of me couldn't have TVs. When I was, as a Christian, early Christian, they, they would condemn Christians who had televisions. Why would you have a TV in your house? That's ungodly. You know, and they would just hammer you with it. Uh, you couldn't go into a movie theater, and it didn't matter what the movie was. It could be a great movie. It could be the Ten Commandments. It could be something wonderful and great family films. Back in that day, they didn't care if there was a family film. There, to them, there was no such thing. You never went into a movie theater because it was a den of iniquity. Anyway, that's just a short list. They, they went on and on, preaching and railing and going crazy on all these things and making people just feel terrible for even thinking about these things. Uh, and they just hammered people. Now, after many years of this, as people began, quite frankly, I believe the reason why so many people listened to these preachers and just did what they said and didn't check anything a lot of them really weren't all that educated. They weren't that good of readers. They didn't understand. I don't know what it is. All I know, and of course, they were in all this King James Bible stuff that spoke in terms that people had a hard time grasping, especially, you know, got into the 50s, 60s, and 70s. All that seemed very strange. But then people started doing what these preachers always told them to do, which is read the Bible. Ironically, it was reading the Bible that caused so many people to say, you're crazy. They started realizing, hey, it's not true. Everything you've been railing on is not true. You've been going around condemning people and making people feel terrible and setting them to hell and you need to come to the altars, you filthy. And in fact, it used to be, a lot of you guys raised in old line churches like myself, you know, the goal of every sermon was to make people, as many people as possible feel bad so that at the end of your sermon, they'd come down crying at the altar, <laughs> you know, Raise your hand if you were in a church like that. I'm sure if you look around, you'll see people in your campus who did this. That's, not, that's how they hammered us. That's what it was about. The goal was to make people feel bad. So these pastors would actually work as much mojo as they possibly could to make as many people feel bad as they could about anything they could find so they wouldn't feel bad enough come crying to the altars. Well, at some point... People pulled away from that and said, what are we doing? This is crazy. And we're hammering about stuff that shouldn't be hammered on. 
And the goal shouldn't be just to make people feel bad for the sake of making them feel bad. Even though some of us had wonderful experiences at altars, I'm not slamming that. I'm just saying the goal, because I know these preachers. I, you know, I was part of this world. The goal was to get as many people to that altar. <laughs> In fact, you know, some people, they probably got saved 50 times <laughs> going to church. <laughs> they go, they get saved. And man, they knew they were saved because they've been saved 50 times coming each time to get the other house right to God because somebody would make them feel bad about something. And they think, oh, I'm, I'm a terrible person. So as a result of this, people actually reading the Bible, looking at it, thinking these things through, thinking this is crazy, what we're doing. Now, they weren't bad people. They were still preaching the gospel. Much of the work that was done uh, over the last 150 years in the church has been wonderful. They were sharing the gospel. They were baptizing people. They were teaching the truths of God. There was a lot of good, but the bad part of it was this tendency to take man-made rules and just beat the snot out of people. So then, as this new crop of believers came up and young men who were going into the ministry and studying the scriptures and looking at us, say, wait a minute, this is crazy. So they started pulling away from that. The problem is, as I said at the beginning, we are prone to these wild swings. And then now they've swung way to the other side, and that's the world we're living in now. And a lot of you have heard these people who their main goal in life is not to make anybody feel bad ever. Let's never make people feel bad. Don't talk about sin. Because if we talk about sin, you know, they'll feel bad. And we don't want people to feel guilt and shame. Guilt and shame. No guilt and shame. It's, it's like the battle cry of the new crop of present uh, evangelical church pastors today are crying everywhere. No guilt and shame. I make them nervous as a cat in a room full of rocking chairs when I come. Because <laughs> I talk about what's right and wrong and they just get all freaked. You should see them. I can see them. Their hearts are just going, oh. But... They stay cool because everybody's laughing and everybody's getting it, so they don't panic so much. But they hate it and get nervous and panicky when you start talking about any kind of right and wrong because they've been convinced that in order to fix this crazy problem, we need to be way over here and never make people feel bad. That's why some of the greatest, biggest, I'm not going to say greatest because I don't think they're great, biggest most popular preachers on TV and stuff today are guys who all they ever talk about is God wants to bless you. He wants you to be happy. He wants you to be happier today than you were yesterday. In fact, if you're not happier today than you were yesterday, well, don't feel bad. Just get happy because you're going to be even happier tomorrow. And, I'm gonna, and that's all they do. That's all they talk about. It's all about me, 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 me. And it becomes this very narcissistic thing. My problem with this approach is First of all, it's not biblical. The Bible is clear that there are things that we need to do or not do, which we'll talk about. There's not tons of them, and it's not oppressive. It's for our own good, for heaven's sakes. But so many churches are just running from that. And this idea that we want no one to feel guilt and shame is insanity. Jesus did not go say go into the—well, what he did say was go into all the world and make disciples of everyone. He did not say go into all the world— and create a bunch of psychopaths. Because people who don't ever feel guilt and shame are called psychopaths. They're These are people who become serial killers for heaven. Now, I'm not saying they're going to turn everybody into serial killers, but why would we emulate the main mentality of a serial killer thinking that's a Christian thought? These are, seriously, look up the dictionary of the definition of a psychopath. You'll find someone who never feels bad. 
no matter what they do. Nothing. They'll take cats and, you know, burn them alive and sit and laugh. They'll hurt animals. They'll hurt little kids. They'll, you know, kill old people. They'll walk in someone's house, you know, cut them off with knives and sit around and laugh. They, they can blend so well into communities. You know, they got a guy recently now who's this big serial killer and he's confessing to all these murders and stuff and he's just grinning and enjoying the limelight. Uh, they said in the news, he's just digging, being the center of the universe right now. He thinks it's cool. These, and everybody says, how, how could he do this for so many years? I'm thinking like 20 years, he's been killing people. How could he pull this off? Because these psychopaths kill people, do horrible, and then they easily slip into society and they function just fine. Some of these guys will do horrific acts and then sit five minutes later with people and play bingo or something. I mean, it doesn't bother them. I really don't think that we should be trying to encourage psychopathic thinking as the standard for modern day Christianity. And again, these guys would be mortified to hear me say that. But when you say never feel guilt and shame, you're in a dangerous place. I actually believe, I'm a little old fashioned, but I actually believe if you do something guilty, you should feel guilt. If you do something shameful, you should feel shame. This is called being a human being as opposed to being, I don't know, a psychopath, okay? It's good to feel these things if they're about legitimate things that the Bible talks about. I agree with these guys. It was wrong to make people feel guilt and shame because they played go fish. It was wrong to make people feel guilt and shame if they weren't saved just because you felt like you had to get somebody to be saved again because that's all you did. I mean, there was a lot of abuse on that, and I agree 100%. But we need some balance. Let's take a balanced approach, and let's not take some big, wild swing that says it doesn't matter today. We never want anybody to feel bad. It doesn't matter. There is no sin. You can commit adultery. It doesn't matter. You can have sex with your boyfriend. Nobody cares. And that's the attitude today in Christian, Christianity. It's like there's no sexual sin anymore that anybody is bothered by. I mean, the whole thing is, well, as long as two people love each other, who really cares? I'll tell you why. Because God says it's wrong. Okay, there are some fundamental things that will keep you from being blessed if you go down this path. And that's what we want to talk about uh, in this, these series of messages. We don't want to hammer anybody at Celebration Church, and that's never been our goal. And we never hate anybody. There's not any, I've heard, I know people in our church, I won't mention any names, but have done terrible things. I don't hate them, and they know I don't hate them. I don't have any problem with people who fall short of God's standard. What irritates me is when people say there is no standard. And that's just all, and they use words like grace and freedom and stuff. They use biblical terms to create an anarchy environment that is not helping people. And that's the end of it. And it's not that these people are evil. I know some of you guys get really mad at some of these preachers as if they're evil. I don't think they're evil. I just think they're wrong. Just like the old time preachers are constantly telling everybody everything that you were thinking was evil and you need to get saved again. They weren't evil guys, but they were wrong. And these feel-good preachers on TV and stuff, I know it drives us all crazy, some of us that really believe the Bible and understand the scripture, and we look at them as evil. Don't get caught up in that. It's just, they're just, they're well-meaning. I've met some of these guys. They're just wrong, okay? So let's not go crazy with the titles and stuff and protest, you know, so-and-so at such-and-such church in California. It's just relax. These are still our brothers in Christ. I think they're wrong in what they're doing, and I'll challenge them on it. But we don't need to get out of control about it. Let, let's just focus on doing life right. 
doing the scriptures right. Why? Because we want things to go well for you. Why? We want God to bless your life. We want you to win and not lose. We want your marriage to succeed. We want your kids to succeed in life. We want your finances to be great and not just sucking from week to week and paycheck to paycheck. We want to see you prosper. We want, I want for you, the same thing that Moses wanted for his people, which is to choose life to be blessed. Now, here's a great testimonial from a young couple in our church who talks about how God was dealing with them about the money that they give to the church. And they were thinking, gee, things are tight. Maybe we'll stop giving the money. And they decided, no, we're going to keep doing the right thing. And as a result, they had some very wonderful blessings in their life. Let's take a look at this great story. We're Emily and Ryan Chart from the Westside Green Bay campus. This is our story. Emily's job is commission-based and had one of her lower months and so it was one thing that we kind of have things budgeted that, you know, this is about what she normally does and so we budget for that and, you know, we use the automatic tithing um, online for church and it kind of made me question, well, if we're going to be $500 short this month, should I go back to more manual and do it according to what comes in? At our 20-week checkup, uh, we were told that there was possible heart condition that they wanted to take a look at a little bit further. And when we went in to see the specialist to follow up, he had thrown a lot of scary terms our way and um, basically we we're kind of left in the dark not knowing what was going to happen with our baby. Turns out that the heart was on the other side, the right side, and we had to go through a lot of tests and it was about a month-long process of a lot of hoops we had to jump through. We really didn't have any other choice other than to just pray and trust God fully with it. And I s thought to myself, you know what, we keep saying we're going to trust God to give us good test results. I can't back away now. I mean, we've had months where obviously the commission wasn't the same, and I just left it alone and worked out fine. Either a month or two later, she had a good month that made up for it. And so I'd seen it in the past and knew that if we stayed faithful, God would make up for it. And so I had a work competition and. Um, I got to spin a prize wheel at work. I didn't know, he handles all the finances. I let him take care of the tithing and everything. I just know that, you know, we're doing that together, but he takes care of it. So he never told me that he didn't not tithe, or that he did tithe on money I didn't make. Um, and the day came when I was told I won a prize and I got to spin a prize wheel. And there was categories from 50, 75, and $100 prizes. And there was one $500 prize on there. And nobody wins that, of course, but I spun it and I rubbed my belly for good luck and I said, come on, baby, and I won $500. And so I jumped for joy and everyone laughed, seeing a big pregnant lady jumping up and down. And um, I emailed him and said I did not know about the tithing situation. And he said, wow, that's another godsend for us. I still tithed on the $500 that you didn't make last month for commission. And so came full circle and I still made that $500 that we had tithed on faithfully. So we're happy to announce 
eight months into the pregnancy that the prognosis looks very good. The heart can be on the right side for baby. All the connections are there. So we just continue to trust God that we have a smooth delivery and happy, healthy baby. Emily and Ryan Chart. God used Celebration Church to fill us with unwavering faith. That's great. Now, as we approach this Christmas season, we're going to be looking at just this simple question about the rules. They're not oppressive rules. It's not like the Old Testament rules, and they're not man-made rules about crazy stuff that doesn't matter. But the Bible is very clear about basic right and wrong as believers that we need to do. And if we will honor God and do these things and walk in God's grace, you will prosper, you will be blessed, and you will succeed. Jesus has made it possible for us to succeed. He's giving us everything we need in our lives to succeed. What we need to do is to choose to do the right thing. We need to choose life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for your truth and for this opening message just talking about uh, this challenge of looking at the scriptures in a way that's positive and honest, not to make things that aren't really there, not to be extreme uh, on either count. Lord, help us to have a balance. Help us to realize that what we do does matter, not to think it doesn't. And at the same time, don't get caught up in crazy rules that aren't biblical at all. We just want to do the truth. We want to do the right things, Father. We choose life so that you can bless us, that we can be successful in all areas of our lives because we choose to honor God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have a great day.